0: Three week series called My Soul Sings. Uh, On the first week, we looked at My Soul Sings in Church uh, for Pentecost Sunday. Uh, Last week, it was My Soul Sings in Battle, and uh, today, My Soul Sings in Suffering. And as I was preparing, I was reminded of uh, what happened when King David lost his best friend. Uh, His best friend was uh, Jonathan, and Jonathan uh, died in battle. And in 2 Samuel 1 verse 17, it says, David sang the following lament for Saul and his son Jonathan, and he ordered that the Judahites uh, Judahites be taught the song of the bow. Uh, So he he wrote a lament, he wrote a song of lament, but not only did he write a song of lament, but he he commanded the people to uh, learn it, to memorize it, and to sing this song of lament, this song of sorrow. And you can hear David's deep grief and loss for his best friend in one of the lines. It says, I grieve for you, Jonathan, my brother. You were such a friend to me. Your love for me was more wondrous than the love of women. Winston Smith is a Christian counselor, and he writes that that grief hurts deeply because we're so aware of just how good a gift God had given us in whatever it is that we've lost. I've told you the story of uh, what that was for me. It was it's been my health through uh, struggling with with chronic health issues, and and how I was doing this course on prayer, and and one of the weeks that we had to write a, a lament and we had to share this lament with them and, and how I was uh, lamenting the fact that I had to write a lament and, and share it and, uh, and I'd, I'd written down my lament and uh, and then I was like, oh, I can share my lament about having to share a lament and it, and it came to the time and it was a Zoom call and, and it came to the time to share this lament and and I just wept and wept and wept and it was like this dam of grief and loss had had burst open and it was the grief and, and loss of, of chronic uh, health. For, for David, uh, it was the loss of his best friend and for me at that stage of my life, it was the, the loss of uh, health and energy and opportunities to, to live a normal life. Uh, this morning we're talking about my soul sings in suffering. Pete Scazzero Uh, says that in our culture addiction has become the most common way to deal with pain. Um, We're on our screens incessantly, Uh, we keep busy running from one activity to another, we work 70 hours a week, we indulge in pornography, we overeat, we drink, we take pills, anything to help us avoid the pain. But, But the Bible has a better way. But we forget that one third of the Psalms, 150 of them, were actually songs of lament. We have a whole book called Lamentations, pouring out of grief and loss. And this morning we're going to look at just one of those expressions of lament, of pain, of complaint, of the outpouring of grief. And that is in Psalm 42 and 43. And most scholars actually take uh, this uh, these two psalms together as as one and and you can see why because there 's this um, phrase that gets repeated three times uh, throughout and, and it 's in both psalms uh, it 's in uh, verse five and then verse eleven and then if you look at the end of verse forty three it 's there again and, and and he begins by by talking to his soul he says "Why are you cast down, o my soul and so uh, this is a psalm about dealing with darkness and despair about Depression and despondency. And it doesn't matter who you are, either uh, you've needed this in the recent past, you're needing it right now, or you're going to need it sometime soon uh, in the future. The the fact is that we experience grief and loss in so many different and varied ways. And so as as we go through this psalm, and I hope you'll be able to keep it uh, in front of you, I want you to notice three things. I, I want you to notice, firstly, the condition that he's in. And then and then secondly we're going to look at the causes of his condition and then finally we're going to look at the cures that we see uh, in this psalm. And, and my prayer for you that it, this will be a salve and a balm to you in sorrow through his word and by his spirit. So let's let's look firstly at the condition uh, in verses 5, 11 and again 5 in 43. He says why are you cast down, O oh my soul? Why are you disquieted within me? Why are you cast down? Other translations say downcast. Why are you depressed, disturbed, discouraged? Why? In the Hebrew, this word means like to melt away or to to sink down, and so it's a metaphor for like collapsing completely. To be to be utterly blown away. This psalmist has fallen into a pit of despair and depression. He's just got nothing left. But the first thing to note, I want you to notice, is that this is not just for spiritual midgets. This experience, this is for spiritual giants. This is David writing the psalm, but but it happened to Elijah. Do you, do you remember how he had this literal mountaintop experience on Mount? Carmel in 1 kings 19 and and then after this mountaintop experience of with, with the prophets of Baal he he falls into this pit of despair and depression so much so that he says to God take my life I, I don't want to live anymore the big biblical writers would never presume to take their own lives because life is not in our hands but but he says lord take my life i, I can't do this anymore jeremiah do do you know what he's known how he's known His, his kind of title his title is the weeping prophet and in jeremiah 20 verse 14 he says cursed be the day i was born so great was his sorrow there's a story of moses in the wilderness in numbers 11 where he's just so overwhelmed by the weight and responsibility of leading God's people and they're whining and they're complaining and and he he says to God if you're going to treat me like this this is number numbers 11 if you're going to treat me like this God please kill me right now so Elijah Jeremiah Moses These aren't exactly spiritual lightweight, lightweights who are experiencing this despondency and depression and despair. These are spiritual giants. These guys are the creme de la creme, and and here they are in depression and despair. Mother Teresa once wrote, "I'm told God loves me, and yet the reality of darkness and coldness." And emptiness is so great that nothing touches my soul. I feel just that terrible pain of loss, of God not wanting me, of God not being God, of God not really existing. This is not an experience for spiritual lightweights or spiritual midgets, but even for the spiritual heavyweights and and the spiritual giants. And, and, And Mother Teresa, in these words... What she's experiencing the loss of is, is the presence of God, the, the sense of his presence with her. And, and that brings us to the heart of the psalm because that's exactly how the psalmist is feeling. Did you, did you see that in verses 1 and 2? He says, As the deer pants for flowing streams, so my soul longs for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and behold the face of God? You see, for David, God is not meant to be some abstract concept, some abstract idea or intellectual proposition. No, he says, I, I thirst for God, for the living God, and the image that he uses for, for his how he's feeling is this image of dehydration, of, of thirst. And I think that's hard for us because... In the West, we, we've got water on tap almost wherever we go. I mean, I, I can't really experience, uh, remember any many experiences of, of dehydration or thirst. But it, but it was common in an arid uh, climate like David was living in. This experience of dehydration and and notice that he doesn't say as the camel pants for flowing streams. Because, of course, a camel can store like 200 litres within them and they can go in the desert for days and days and days and days. No, he says, as the deer pants for flowing streams. And according to my researcher, a deer only needs three to five litres a day. And so um, the vast majority of deer, they actually live and plant themselves within 70 metres of a water source. But here David uses the picture of a deer in the desert, dehydrated and close to death. So so. what's the point of this, this image? Well, the point is that the Bible teaches that human beings need God as much as animals and humans need water. We, we need God spiritually as much as we need water physically. If we don't have water, we're dazed, we're dehydrated, and we might even die. And so if we don't have a connection with God spiritually, there's an emptiness, a desolation and a desertion. And that's what Mother Teresa was feeling, and that's what the psalmist is feeling. The thing that he's lost is the sense of the living presence of God. He's spiritually dry. He's feeling spiritually deserted and depressed. That's the condition that he's in. But what about the causes? Well, the first cause is that he hasn't been able to go to church. Have a a look at verse four. He says, these things I remember as I pour out my soul. And then in in the NIV, it says, how I used to go to the house of God under the protection of the mighty one with shouts of joy and praise among the festive throng. He, He hasn't been able to go to church. He's missing the opportunity to gather with the people in the house of God and and, and he, can you picture the shouts of joy and praise among the festive throng? Uh, can can you picture what it was like when the saints gathered in the house of God with shouts of joy among the festive throng? You know, the closest picture, or one of the pictures I have, is is the picture of the AFL dressing room after the, in the winning team after the grand final. Shouts of joy among, and shouts of joy and praise among the festive throng. Of course. No, this isn't the temple of the MCG or some AFL temple. No, this is the temple of, of the living God. Shouts of praise and joy among the festival. He's, he's longing for, he's missing that experience of being with the people of God, in the presence of God, pouring out the praises of God. That, that's what he's missing. And I reckon people pay big money for that kind of experience don't they like packed out stadiums belting out your favorite songs to your favorite band I mean I feel like the world has done a pretty good job of taking one of the church's most precious treasures and and then sucking out all the Jesus bits and then just living off what's left but how sad if our praise and our worship is just a pale black and white shadow of What happens out there when we've got the real thing? We've got Jesus, the pearl of great price. This treasure in jars of clay. You know, the one that Paul says, the all-surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. This is the cause, the first cause of this man's depression, that, that, that he's missing being among the people of God, in the presence of God, pouring out the praises of God. That's what he's longing for. Imagine if that was our experience of church, that that, that, that it, would, it would make us feel dehydrated and on the edge of death to not be able to be at church in the presence of God, with the people of God, pouring out the praises of God. That's the cause of of his depression but there's there's another one in in verse 10 another cause is, is the environment that he's living in have a look at verse 10 it says my adversaries taunt me while they say to me continually where is your god now if this doesn't sum up the age that we're living in today then i don't know what does well, where is your god he doesn't exist he, he's not there you're on your own I mean, if you tell someone out there in the workplace or at school that you believe in a guy called Jesus who lived and died and rose again and one day you believe that he's going to come back into history through the clouds and make all things new, you might as well tell them that you believe in Santa Claus or the tooth fairy. I mean, isn't this the world that... We're living in where is your God I mean it's beyond saying they don't even need to say where is your God it's just taken for granted that he's not there and that we're alone and that's the environment that most of you are swimming in and, and that has a way of, of working on you and getting inside of you the fact of is that most of us are immersed in a a 24-7 discipleship program out there that that is essentially saying in a hundred different ways, where is your God? And and if you go to church on a regular basis every Sunday, you get an hour and a half on a Sunday to be discipled into the reality of things, which is that Jesus is the true and living God. But it's not much time to compensate for a 24-7 discipleship program that says where is your God? And so this guy, this psalmist, one of the causes of his depression and sense of desolation is an environment that says, where is your God? But there's another cause. Have a look at verse 3. It's the cause of physical conditions. He says, my tears have been my food day and night. So what's he doing instead of eating? He's crying. And what's he doing instead of sleeping? He says, my tears have been my food day and night. What's he doing instead of sleeping? Crying. So how's that going to impact him physically? He's going to be exhausted if he's not sleeping. And and how's that going to impact him emotionally? If he's not sleeping, if he's not eating. Well, he's going to be depressed. And how's that going to impact him spiritually? He's going to feel as if God's distant, that God's not with him. Can can you see the the physical conditions and causes that have led to this condition? My tears have been my food day and night. I I can't eat. I can't sleep. And so this leads to the reality that that clinical depression and other kinds is complex. It's not simple. It's not straightforward. We're complex human beings that... That we have a moral nature, we have a spiritual nature, a social nature, a, a physical nature. And, 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 it's, and these can all lead and be causes of depression. And so the temptation in our societies, you know, on one end or one extreme is to, to just treat the physical and just pop some pills as if you can treat the physical and you're going to get better. But, but then you can go down another extreme, which is, well, just to treat the spiritual, that, that you just need to pray and, and read your Bible. But, but, but it's more complex than that. And, and that there can be different causes. And actually you see this in the story of Elijah on on Mount Carmel after his huge success on Mount Carmel with um, Jezebel and Ahab and the prophets. And and it's literally this mountaintop experience and then he falls into this pit of despair. I found this quote from um, the Oxford Don, uh, C.S. Lewis. Uh, And he says, The times I find myself most vulnerable to the attacks of depression are after defending Christianity most brilliantly. That's a situational cause of depression. But um, right after Elijah asks God to take his life, guess what happens? He, he falls into a deep sleep. Why? Because he's physically exhausted. And then the angel visits him in his sleep and says, abracadabra, Kalamazoo. No. Do you know what the angel does? He doesn't wave a magic wand. He cooks him a meal. He cooks him a meal. It's as if God's saying to Elijah, Elijah, you're exhausted. You need to sleep. Elijah, you're famished. You need to eat. I found this disturbing quote from the CEO of Netflix a few years ago, Reed Hastings. He says this When you watch a show from Netflix and you get addicted to it, you stay up late at night. We, in other words, Netflix, are competing with sleep. In other words, these media and social media companies, they, teenagers, everyone, they want you to be addicted and they are competing with your sleep. They want you to stay up at night. That's the stated purpose that the CEO of Netflix gives to their mission, competing with sleep. And yet God says to Elijah... Elijah, you need to eat. In a world of processed foods, you could go down that track too. I doubt it was chips and a burger that the angel cooked for Elijah. You need to eat. You need to sleep. These are some of the causes. You can't go to church. The environment that says, where is your God? And physical Conditions. Uh, my tears have been my food, day and night. We've looked at the condition. We've looked at some of the causes, but what about the cure? Uh, there are many things, but I, I just want to look at three. And, and the first thing is to look back. That the psalmist says, "I remember twice. I remember." The first cure is to look back. Uh, years ago, in an old, stodgy community, a, a new doctor came to town, and Everyone just thought he could cure anything and anybody and everyone was just enamored with this new doctor except for one guy in the village who was a skeptic, Mr. Sweeney and and he decided that he'd put this miracle doctor to the test and so he came to the doctor one day and he said, hey doc, I've lost my sense of taste, I can't taste anything, can you help me and the doctor scratched his head and mumbled to himself a little and then he told Mr. Sweeney, What you need is jar number 47. And he walked over to the shelf. He took down jar number 47. He said, Have a taste of this. And the man had a taste. And he immediately just spat it out. That's gross. That's disgusting. He yelled. The doctor said, Well, Mr. Sweeney, I believe I've just restored your sense of taste. Well, he went home fuming and he started to scheme about another way that he could trip up this doctor and he came back a month later with a solution and, and he said, Doc, I, I've been having problems with my memory. I can't seem to remember anything anymore. And, and now Mr Sweeney was very pleased with himself that he finally had the doctor stumped and he scratched his head and he mumbled to himself and then finally he went over to the shelf with his medicines on it and he said, well, Mr Sweeney, I believe what you need is jar number 47. When the doctor turned around, Mr. Sweeney was gone. He remembered. You see, sometimes to remember is all the medicine that we need. And the psalmist says in verse 4, These things I remember. I remember the experience of being amongst the people of God in the presence of God, pouring out the praises of God. And verse 6, my soul is cast down within me, therefore I remember you. The older you get, the more memories you have of God's faithfulness. And so we should be telling stories of God's faithfulness, especially for the young, that they might have testimony of God's faithfulness, that they might remember. And in our um, annual report this year, we've got Uh, We've tried to put six or seven stories of God's faithfulness and and work in our midst. I hope you'll get to those stories for for the encouragement. The first cure is to look back and remember. But secondly, it's to look up. He says to himself in verse 5, Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my help and my God. So when he says, Why are you downcast, O my soul? He's actually interrogating himself, he's analysing his feelings, because you see, your feelings come from what you hope in, what you rely on and rest on for your happiness and security and satisfaction, which means when you're over the moon, the chances are that that your hopes have been realised, they're safe and secure, but when you're down in the dumps, the chances are what's happened is that your hopes have let you down, your hopes have been dashed and so what the psalmist is doing is he's actually interrogating himself and he's saying why am I so upset about this what what is it that's so important to me that I need it I have to have it I can't live without it and if I don't have it I'm so depressed what have I put my hope in my security my self-worth and my significance And how can I stop putting it in these things that will let me down and to start putting my hope in God, who is my rock, my only hope? Like it says in the psalm, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly trust in Jesus' name. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. He's saying, put your hope in God and trust in him. First QR, look back. Second is to look up. But the third is to look forward. In verse 5 he says, hope in God, for I shall again praise him. I shall again praise him. In 1 Thessalonians 4.13, Paul says, we do not want you to grieve as those who have No hope. We do not want you to grieve as those who have no hope. He says, I will yet praise him again. Pete Scazzaro says, turning towards our pain feels counterintuitive. But in fact, the heart of Christianity is that the way to life is through death. And the pathway to resurrection goes through crucifixion. You see, if we've been united with Christ, then we've been united with him in his story. And do you know what the shape of his story is? It's the shape of a curve. He went down into death and despair, but by the power of the Holy Spirit, he was raised up in glory and victory. And if you've been united to Christ, then his story becomes your story. And the path that he followed becomes the path that you will follow. He looks Forward. It doesn't end in death. He is risen. And so Paul, at my commissioning, I had Paul in Philippians 3. I want to know Christ in the power of his resurrection and in the fellowship of his sufferings. It's a package deal. That's the pathway of Christ for every Christian. My soul sings in suffering. To wrap it up this morning, I want to share a, an article that I found with you, uh, written in January 2015, with the title "The Song That Silenced the Cappuccino Machine," and it's a by called by a guy called about a guy called John Thomas Oakes who stopped at the Starbucks in New York on 51st and Broadway, just around the corner from Times Square. This particular Starbucks was known as the most lucrative in the whole world for buskers and musicians. That The tips at this shop could be substantial. And on this night, John was playing keyboard while being accompanied by a friend. And during one of the songs that they were playing, there was a lady who was there who was swaying to the beat and, and singing along. And, and after the song was done, the lady came up to John and he said, look, sorry, I apologise for singing along. Did it bother you? And John said, no. We love it when people sing along. Would you like to join us for the next selection? And she was delighted and she accepted and John offered her the opportunity to choose what song that she wanted to sing. And after a moment she said, well, do you know any hymns? And John was raised in the church. He knew heaps of hymns Hymns. And, and so he said, yeah, sure I do, name one. And she said, oh, I don't know, there's so many good ones. You pick one. And he said, okay, what about His Eye is on the Sparrow? And so they began to sing for this crowd. Why should I be discouraged? Why should the shadows come? And the rest of the coffee drinkers put down their drinks and they were just spellbound by this beautiful singing it goes on, I sing because I'm happy, I sing because I'm free, for his eye is on the sparrow and I know he watches me. Well, When they finished there was just this rapturous applause and everyone was just belting it out. And, and as the applause died down and people got back to their drinks, the, the woman said, it's funny that you should use that particular hymn because that was my daughter's favourite hymn. She was 16. She died of a brain tumour last week. John was absolutely stunned. She said, are you okay? Are you going to be okay? And she said, I'm going to be okay. I just need to keep trusting in the Lord and singing his songs. The psalmist says, why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my Saviour and my God. To bring it home this morning, I want to give everyone the opportunity to offer your deepest grief and loss to him in prayer. You've got a pen, you've got a piece of paper. I want you to take a moment to be able to Write that down, no one's going to read it, don't put your name on it, it's between you and God, certainly I'm not going to read it, but take a moment now if you feel comfortable to offer your deepest grief to the Lord, and during communion, as you come to him, there's an opportunity for you to take that piece of paper, put it in the box down here, right in front of me at the front, and to offer it to him, take a few moments to do that.